Okay, here we are on March 13th, 2014, talking about Blood Music by Greg Bear at the Science Fiction Club meeting, and I um, guess we'll go around and see what people thought about it. Uh, and that's it. Here we go. Well, I was fascinated with the book, but I do not like the way the thing, uh, the the thinking, whatever it was, virus, uh, no sites, whatever, uh, destroyed the environment as they went along. That bothered me. And I loved Susie. I thought she was great, except she got sucked in at the end, too, with everybody else, but the book itself was just fascinating. I was fascinated with the scientific aspects of it. And uh, so I'm sort of on the fence with this one. Like the science and didn't like the results. I'd rather stay in this universe. Thank you. Yeah, the, um, I'll speak for my friend Maria Campbell, who's not, who didn't come tonight. She didn't like it very much. And I, and I, she was just, she couldn't figure out how it ended. And I must admit, I'm, it's a little strange the way it did end. Apparently, if I understood it correctly, they totally transformed our present world into some sort of, I don't know how you would say it. I don't know if you would call it a total mind, if you would compare it to the Borg and, and, and um, Star Trek things. But um, it, it, the ending was, it was a little strange. It was a little disappointing to me. Well, I liked it. I'm with Mary, though. I didn't like how things got destroyed, the the trees and stuff like that. I didn't like that. I didn't see why they had to even mess with that. And I don't think I'd like to be a part of that either. But when you're all alone and there's not a human soul in the world, what do you do? Um, it was... Oh, it's really funny because I was talking about um, the Science Fiction Book Club on Facebook... And my cousin, I said, oh, I don't remember who Blood Music was by. And my cousin pipes up and says, oh, it was Greg Bear. It was a good one. So it's kind of funny what social networking t- can do. But, yes, um, I did like the book. And I couldn't put it down. And I had to pace myself or I would have read it too quickly. That book scared the life out of me. My God, I was, my sister and brother-in-law were here, and I was reading it, and my sister finally turned around and said, why would you ever read that book? And I told her that it was for Science Fiction Club, but uh, it scared me because it could, you know, something like that really could happen, I think, if you had a mad enough scientist. Uh, this is Sherry. I like the book, too. I like these science gone awry type books. Um, one question I had about the ending is, I don't know if I somehow missed it or what, but whatever happened to those two guys that hooked up with the, um, I can't remember the main character's name that died early on in the book, the main scientist that started it all, his mother, and these two guys were driving down to the labs to find him, and I didn't get a sense of whatever happened to them unless I just missed it somewhere. Well, uh, I'll answer your question and then I'll say uh, what I thought. But um, they went into the uh, maelstrom in Los Angeles with uh, Virgil's mother. Remember, they uh, she went in, disappeared, and then they stood outside and talked a bit and said, "Well, they aren't dead, and they could be in there." And I mean, you know, where else are we going to go? And what else are we going to do? And you know, if they're there, we'll find them. And they went in. 
after her. Uh, so that's what happened to them. Well, I I love the book. I thought you know it was on my favorites list. So uh, and it doesn't diminish with the retelling, as my books that I read over again. If they if they don't diminish with the retelling, then they stay on my favorites list. Um, I think um, I have mixed feelings about the environmental stuff. I mean, uh, it's I I think you might be right. They they probably wouldn't have had to do that. You know, a complete makeover. Uh, of the world um, but uh, on the whole I mean if something like that were to happen this is probably the best outcome that you could you could imagine I mean it could have been a lot worse I mean they could have just dismantled everything including everybody not bothered to store anything so in that sense it was optimistic even though it was not you know as optimistic as you know as far as the environment goes um, at the um, at the end, uh, they basically, you know, he was talking about that physicist Gogarty was talking about how, you know, if you observe it closely enough, you can manipulate space-time because you have enough observers and you start, you know, that collaborative creation process and so on. And some of that's baffle gab, I think, but some of it's based on quantum mechanics. I mean, the basic, you know, Young's um, split... Um, oh, brother, never mind. Um... The, spl- uh, the slit experiment, the double slit experiment, where the uh, it depends on the observer what happens in the quantum mechanical result, whether it becomes two, uh, whether the wet light waves interfere or whether they appear on two screens, and so on. Uh, so he's kind of extending that a little bit into a much bigger, more uh, calamitous kind of ending uh, or, or result. Um, which I thought was fascinating, though I don't know if it could really happen, but it's really interesting to think about it in our future, um, as, you know, we can get more intelligent in our computers and so on, get more, uh, the circuitry gets more dense and the environment becomes more self-aware as it's going to. Um, so, but I love the book. I think there are minor flaws, and, you know, I meant to post a review that I saw on Amazon, and I think I still will post it. And I've never quite seen a review that so perfectly agreed with me. He had some pros and he had some cons. One of the cons was that the transition from the novella at the beginning to the uh, second half with Susie and the rest was pretty jarring. Uh, that was probably a, a flaw, a bit of a flaw. Um, and there, um, you know, there were a couple of other things, but he said it was still one of his favorite books, and I, I agreed with him on that. Even though there are no book is perfect, but I mean, I can find flaws in every book. But um, and now Lissy wants to say what she thought. Here she is, sweetie. Um, this is a case where Evan and I are polar opposites. I, I the, the longer we went, the squirmier and more critical I got. And I wasn't very pleasant to read with because. Because I was just getting angrier and angrier. <coughs> Excuse me, we we both getting over colds. Um, it seemed to me that if it was so intelligent, why couldn't it have, you know, we have have exercised some self control about its its reproduction? I mean, we think that we, you know, that population control comes with intellect and you know being able to say, you know, I don't have to have 80 babies or as many babies as my body can produce 
you know, if we don't have the environmental resources to to sustain them, well, why did this intelligent, so-called intelligence never give itself any restrictions at all? It destroyed everything in its path. And I'm not very science fiction oriented, actually. I guess I look for the human in whatever I read. And by even the human, I mean the compassionate and the heartfelt and the kindness. And and I, from the very beginning, I, all I could think about is what's happening to the puppies and the kittens and the pets and the, the cows and the sheep and the chickens and the robins and all those birds. And at the very end, he mentioned that, that they had two cats. Um, and I just thought, well, it's a little late to mention pets now, but even so... This thing destroyed everything in its path in the name of what? You know, I, I couldn't figure that out. And, and I didn't find the survival or whatever hopeful at the end because they weren't re living real lives. They were having wish fulfillment. They were allowed to play out their fantasies and pretend they had human existence as, in life as they knew it while their millions of counterparts did whatever. And... It just got too, too alien and too removed, and and it was like a steamroller. It gobbled up and destroyed everything in its path, and and what it created was certainly never described as, you know, they didn't think, you know, he mentioned artists gratuitously at the end, but actually, you know, the love of beauty and poetry and literature and, um, you know. That all that transition stuff sounded industrial and ugly to me, and I suppose you could say I'm not flexible enough. But anyway, I just I was just kind of horrified. I'd have to agree; it was pretty horrifying. I, I think Evan's right. I suppose it could be worse, and that it could have just flat out killed everybody, and you'd all be dead. But and the people that reformed themselves Susie's family said they were happier being this way so I guess you got to take them at their word also I guess I didn't miss what happened to Virgil's mother and those other two guys because I do remember that I just thought there must be something more I mean the uh, entity gave Susie a choice and I would have thought it would have given these people a choice too but you don't read about that so I guess we can just assume they were subsumed into the entity like everyone else um I, I the what really bothered me was the reader. I don't like really anything this guy reads. He's just ah, he just bothers me. I always want to call him Mr. Nice Guy. He's just I don't know. It's just the way he reads. It it, it I don't know. I think they could have found a better reader. I don't know who, but I I, I just didn't think he added very much to the book. Well, I I don't mind him. Sometimes I don't think that the books and the narrators match too well, but I kind of got so involved in the book um, that I just, you know, kept going with it. And I have other books that I've downloaded that he has read. So, But um, anyway, one thing I wanted to mention was the the cleverness that the author came up with Instead of using nanotechnology, he was using genetics and not only DNA, but you've got messenger RNA and other stuff in there. And I thought it was an interesting combination that you've sort of had a, a built-in thinking machine rather than trying to build 
nanochips and stuff. I, I thought that aspect was kind of interesting, that, that Virgil sort of took the step and said, let's build this. But then on the other hand, there are really scary parts, like Susie in the World Trade Center. Of course, it couldn't happen now because that building is gone, but her desperation trying to survive in there, that just scared me. <laughs> but I got through it. You know, I figured they were going to let her out at one point, so she got out of there. I had the, I made the mistake of reading the book before. Well, I was going to sleep a couple of times, and the part that creeped me out was when um, Susie went into the kitchen and saw these tubes of skin, and her mother connected under the sink, and how they were all just sort of, and then how their clothes disappeared, and as, and and things like that, um, and. Um, it, it creeped me out, but it was fascinating, and it sort of suggested to me some soci- social questions, like um, um, if if something came along to make us more intelligent. I don't know if I would want to do that, or if something even came along that, um, and and I, I would be afraid that maybe society would expect that everybody would have to be perfect and that they'd have to make all these modifications. And I was, I'd was i sort of be like Susie. I'm, I'm a holdout, and, and I think I would be a holdout. I want to be an authentic human being. Um, but, no, um, there were a couple of parts of the book that really bothered me why was it necessary for Virgil to be murdered I I just oh I that just that was just so ghastly how he threw the lamp into the tub and he got electrocuted and all that and he got murdered and then they went and um, murdered that other guy in the cot I I don't know but they, they didn't really die I guess but still I don't know what that did to the book I don't know what the purpose of that was and um, the other thing I just wanted to mention was you, um, you'd mentioned the reader. One of you didn't like the reader. At first, when I started reading the book, I didn't care for the narrator either, but I was messing around with, I had the NLS player because I was reading a lot of the book on the exercise bike, doing cardiac rehab exercises. These books helped me to get through that. Um, but I found that if I... If I put a lot of bass into um, the tone, and I, I just uh, made the bass go as much as possible and everything, that really made a difference in the narration. It sort of brought it to life for me. So sometimes I find that if I don't care for how it's going with a particular narrator, if I mess around with the bass and treble, it really makes a difference. I don't know. It may just be me and be goofy, but those were my thoughts. Uh, Virgil's murder, that happened because the doctor was trying to kill the virus. Remember, he was pouring alcohol and disinfectant and stuff into the tub, and and Virgil was still talking about, well, you know, this virus is going to go down the drain, and, and of course, um, the virus was making itself known on his skin by then, and anybody who touched him, that's how the doctor got the virus in the first place, I think... I remember right. But anyway, the whole thing was the doctor was trying to kill the virus. And the last-ditch effort was to throw the lamp into the tub and electrocute the poor guy. Um, That's kind of how I put it together. I don't know if that's correct or not, but it made sense somehow. Uh, Yeah, because he was talking about opening the drain, and he wanted to stop him, A. And B, he didn't know that his girlfriend had already been partially uh, disassembled and that the shower drain was open. So his 
his killing of Virgil was futile, but he didn't know that at the time. He didn't even know she was there. He said, you know, he wasn't, he didn't know where she was, but he didn't think about that. He was just trying to stop Virgil from opening the drain. Because he was taunting him. He was saying, yeah. should I take out the drain? Should I take, you know, he yeah. was tormenting him, really. Right, and it wasn't, you know, I think it was a real, you know, uh, panicky moment, and he just wanted to stop him at any cost. Because he already knew, he already, he didn't, really couldn't think about what was going to happen, but he knew it wasn't going to be good, probably. Here's my question. How come Susie and those two other guys and his mother didn't get um, ill, or whatever you call it, until they chose to go through the curtain or whatever? Well, I have a theory about that. I know what the author said. There was something in their chemistry or something. But I think he had to have people around to show what was happening, and he couldn't do that if there was nobody around. Um, that's my theory. I don't know if anybody has a better one, but uh, the theory that he, you know, what he, his explanation in the book wasn't really that convincing to me, but um, I think that's what he had to do. And his mother, his mother may have just been spared because she was like, you know, the ants, the primal, the primal, what's the word I want? The primogenitor, whatever. Uh, she was Virgil's mother. Uh, she may have been spared until she went into the, you know, the maelstrom over in Los Angeles. And the other two guys were, I think it was just so the author could show us kind of from as close a point of view as he could, um, what was happening. You can't, I mean, he couldn't show us from the other side except very, you know, occasional with Bernard, you know, the backwater, who, you know, he was kind of a backwater in, in Germany, as he said, and even that was, must have been tough. Um, that's a very difficult thing to do. So I think he just needed observers of a human level, and he kind of tried to come up with some way of doing that so that we could see what was going on, you know, in North America. That's my theory. Um, I have another comment, which was that the the virus cared. It said it tried to spare people, but it it really didn't try very hard, and it really didn't spare anyone in the end, um, because what happened in Europe was almost. It's hard to say which was worse. In in the United States, it happened so fast, people didn't see it coming, and and were were incorporated almost before they knew it, you know, their their terror was short-lived. But in Europe, it was kind of worse because they it dragged on for months where they were trying to hold out and they knew that this, this, this horrible thing had happened across the ocean and they were trying to protect themselves, but then they, you know, mob rule kind of took over and starvation and the environment kept degrading and degrading and you know they really had months of of a horrible decline i just thought it was it was heartless yeah i agree with evan i thought that sparing those three people was a plot device and he could have come up with maybe a better explanation like people with a rare blood type or something like that and maybe had a few more of them thrown in there and i agree with you lizzie about the Europeans and just the whole horrifying nature of the, the thing in itself. I thought the doctor that uh, took refuge in Germany was really interesting. His transformation was a lot slower and uh, the way he detailed it and everything and described it, it didn't make it less horrifying, but it, it made it interesting. I wanted to ask about the very ending of the book, the last, because 
just before the, the, the last, next to the last chapter, we had Susie in, in her apartment in London, and she finally, she saw part of herself, which had been created before, and then she finally merged in. But then, the very end, you had uh, Bernard with his girlfriend there, and they were sitting in a, you know, in a, in a, a restaurant, and he was asking her, would, would he, uh, would she give him a chance again? And I forget the exact words, the last couple of words of the novel, but I didn't quite understand what symbolism that had. I think it was sort of a time travel sort of thing where the author was probably trying to show that now that they were in this kind of strange form, that time didn't have much meaning anymore. And uh, I think that was the, the point of that. I don't know. I think he could have left that out. Um, I think it was he was just re enacting or, or running another simulation. I think that's what was happening. He was running the simulation of what if things had been different and this woman had returned and broken her engagement with this other guy instead of never him never seeing her again. I think he could have just left that out and left the sense of wonder ending that he had instead of kind of dampening it a little bit, which is what he did, sort of, with that kind of simulation thing at the end. And I felt like it was the... The alien was throwing crumbs to the stupid ones, you know, that one wanted to cling to their illusion of humanity. And it's like, well, well, you know, we can let you, we can let you live in any kind of imaginary construct that you want. We, we have that ability. So, it, it was sad. Well, you probably are going to think I'm all wet, but I just had this thought that perhaps. The whole idea of this book was to let us know in some crazy way that everything really, when it comes right down to it, is an illusion, maybe? That's an interesting thought. You know, the ending kind of reminded me of something from Star Trek, where, um, you know, where they have these different universes and stuff like that, and uh, or time warps and stuff like that, where... Um, you can do whatever you want if you live here. I know there was an episode I'm trying to think of. I know somebody will find it. But Marshall's not here, so I don't know. Uh, one of, somebody will have to find it, but if it, but if he were here, I'm sure he would know. It's on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Sorry, folks, I can't remember. Um, but I know some of the films have even talked about this um, at some point or other, like, remember the God thing and Star Trek V and... And um, all that. Anyway, um, I think another poignant thing that really hit me was in the earlier part of the book when Virgil is traveling around, it talks in detail about the California coast as he is traveling up and down the coast. And it just hit me because I've been a California native here for all of my life, and it's it's hard to think of all the orchards and all the beautiful stuff, and then they get this other contrast, because that's not how the book ends, I'm afraid. And it just struck me very, as a very poignant point, because he describes all the scenery so beautifully at the beginning, and then it's all gone. Well, I think uh, it was so interesting in the beginning when he went to see his mother, and she just wouldn't take any of his baloney. And finally, she said, how much longer do you have? You know, and, and I mean, she knew that something was going to happen. 
almost probably before he did. Yeah, I thought, you know, the, the book, it, it, it seemed like it had almost two separate halves, you know. The first half being with Virgil and, and his problems and, you know, the fact that he was grew up, you know, and I, I, I'm maybe going to just, you know, and we grew up in a pan out, pan out, panhandle of Texas, and apparently the household wasn't totally united and all his problems. And then, and then, and then when he died, it, sw- it switches over to Gregory as the main character. And of course, and all along you have the lymphocytes gradually becoming more and more present, but it, it seemed like it, like the book was almost divided into two separate halves in a sense. Well, it is because the first half or the first part of, about a third or a little over, was a novella, which was published in Analog, and it ended there. And if you read the acknowledgments at the end, you'll see that David Brin and somebody else asked him to, and Stanley Schmidt, I think, asked him to, what he would think about working it out and expanding it and working out the details of what Virgil had started. And so that's why the second half, and as I said, the transition is a bit... Uh, jarring. And they, I don't know if he could have done that better, but that's one of the flaws that other people have pointed out. It kind of jumps whoa from, you know, the end of when when uh, the doctor and his wife are together, and then boom, you're in Susie's, uh, and the com- our environment's completely altered. And you know that was a, a, a kind of a big transition. So it really is a second half. Uh, it wasn't. You know, he didn't write it with that in mind, apparently, at the beginning. He worked it out after, you know, he was um, encouraged to expand on it. In a way, there were almost too many main characters, but um, in another way, you almost needed them for all the different perspectives. And I think that one of the most fascinating aspects of the book for me was the multiverse you know, you think about the universe, and it's just fascinating to think that uh, of such a concept of a multiverse, where um, you know it's like one big mind, and everything is sort of merged. It's sort of it's sort of scary, but it's a it's a fascinating concept if you really if you really contemplate it. Well, what's interesting too is that he wasn't really the first one to come up with this sort of thing, in at least not in science fiction, because I remember reading Theodore Sturgeon. One of his books dealt with sort of the gestalt sort of thing where it was a combined humanity all having one mind. I can't remember now the name of that thing. I know I read it at least a couple of times, but it was written way back in the 1950s, I believe. That was more than human. And um, the um, multiverse, uh, I just read a book on that not too long ago called Hidden Reality, The Hidden Reality by Brian Green, And he talks about all the different cosmological models and string theory that point to various kinds of multiverse, some of them with infinite numbers of universes and some with only very large number, like 10 to the 500 power or something. (laughs) And all these different models of cosmology uh, that he goes through, it's pretty heavy. I'm going to review it for DB Review here in a few days because, um, you know, I wanted to go through it and figure out what I wanted to write about and so on. But I'm going to write a review of it. But it is... And there's also a chapter at the end, which is uh, more of a philosophical, uh, going through the arguments as to whether we are already living in a simulation. And there's some philosophers and people like that who argue that we, the probability is very high that we could be. So it's a really fascinating book if you want something. It doesn't. It's not light reading though, but it's already a 
a, a well-known concept in the cosmology field that we could very likely be living in a multiverse already. Whether we could actually get to them or what, you know, observe them or even travel to them, he doesn't deal with that too much here. But there are other people and more speculative that think about that. Anyway. Yeah, he's written some interesting stuff. I think he's got three or four books on Bard on various topics like this. And uh, if it's the same Green that I'm thinking of, G-R-E-E-N-E, his last name. I think that's the same one. Yeah, that's the same one. It wrote The uh, Elegant Universe and The Fabric of the Cosmos. The Fabric of the Cosmos is also really good, and it's on Bard. I don't know what The Elegant Universe is or not, but um, Fabric is, and um, this new one, The Hidden Reality, the latest one, is on there. and it's a, They're both really, really good. Yeah, The Elegant Universe is on Bard, because I've got it downloaded. I have all three of them. I, at least I think there's only three up there. If there's another one, I missed it, and I'm going to be mad at myself. <laughs> but these guys really come up with some fascinating stuff. I mean, I've even heard philosophies that people think that we're all digital when it comes right down to it, uh, which is a weird, weird idea. Now you're talking the Matrix there, Mary. Um, has anybody ever read a book by Margaret Atwood called Something Craig? Um I can't remember what it is. I, I, my cousin suggested it, and I just started reading it, and I don't know what I'm going to think about it yet. Uh, yeah, it's 20 to 10. We should probably start thinking about the next month uh, here, if, unless anybody has any you know, more things to say about blood music before we go on to our next book and think about what we want to read next. Well, I'm reading a book that I discovered you know, browsing through the bar, the bar website, uh, by James Patterson, of all people. The book is called Zoo, and it has to do with something causing all the animals in the world to become aggressive and attack human beings, and apparently there's something in the environment that's causing this change. I haven't gotten, you know, all the way to the end, but it, it's it's a very interesting book. I don't know if you might want to consider that as something to read. It was written in 2013, James Patterson is a corporation. He's not really an author. He's if you he had something like seven books on the New York Times bestseller list at one time, but none of them were written by him alone. He he actually is a, a hub for a, a, a bunch of other authors who write historical fiction and crime fiction and gay fiction and everything you can think of so i i'm afraid i i'm i know he's popular but he's not actually a he i mean there is a per, such a person but he ceased to be the author of his own books at least about 10 years ago but and even not even if that weren't the case i'm i'm sorry i have to say that that book does not sound interesting it sounds more like a, a b movie script to me, but... <laughs> oh, and another thing, at the same time he had all those books on the bestseller list, he also had two books on the on the young adult or teenager bestseller list and some books in the children's um, bestseller list, so actually... I know what he's got. He's got an army of new sites working for him. Has, That's what he's got. And his universe, a lot of his, um, res the research for his 
his stable of authors is done by university students. <laughs> well, it's true. It is written by, he co, is co-writing with someone else, but the main thing is, what are the results? And the book, to me, is so far, I'm finding very interesting. And, you know, managing quite a few interesting scientific elements about the environment, and certainly some of the scenes where the animals attack people are quite interesting. So I just thought I'd put it out. Another suggestion might be, I was looking at the list of books that Mary sent from Bookshare, and some of those titles sound very, very interesting. Yeah, I know some of those names, uh, but I haven't read any of those books. Uh, I know some of the guys, uh, and I think I've read stuff by them, other stuff, but I don't know the names of any of them particular. I don't know those uh, books. I haven't read any of those that I can think of right now. Also, she mentioned the Roger Zelazny books that I, I sent a message about that last night. I have not read My Name is Legion yet. I'm surprised. Well, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. But I've always liked Zelazny. He was one of my favorite... He was my favorite author when I was in junior high because I liked far-out stuff. And he, he wrote far-out stuff back in the 60s like Lord of Light, Creatures of Light and Darkness, and, you know, the Amber series, you know, had some far-out stuff in it, especially when they were traveling through shadows. And then, you know, in the later books, things get even further out, and he goes to the Courts of Chaos and stuff. That was just fabulous work. I just love that. Um, and I'm discovering a book that he that I've heard of, but I haven't read yet. I've got to get that one. If you were um, thinking about books for the future, I know the one time, the other time that I joined you a while back, we did the um, time travel um, anthology. And if you ever wanted to do another anthology, I have always been fascinated with the Twilight Zone. And there is a book on Bard. You know, it's the Twilight Zone, and it's. Um, I think there's like 19 stories, and they're sort of written as a um, um, a tribute to Rod Serling. Um, you know, they're 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 Twilight Zone style stories, um, and I, I'm really enjoying that book. Um, I I wish I'd thought of it. I would have gotten the information for you folks if you were interested. But if you didn't choose it tonight and think you'd want it for the future, I could I could probably get it to you for the future. But I haven't finished the book because I've been distracted by all these other books for groups, and I just read a story at a time. But I'm I'm really enjoying it. I read that one and I reviewed it for DB Review a couple of years back and have kept it. It's got some starts out with some really good stories and it gets into some scary ones and I'm I'm on Bard right now. I just looked that book up and I've got it on my um, display. Just as a bit of trivia, I was listening to Mystery Science Theater 3000 last week and they had a movie on it uh, with Bill Moomy in it. And I did not know that he was the kid in uh, the Twilight Zone adaptation of It's a Good Life that sent people to the cornfield if they didn't like it or if he didn't like them or, or whatever. <laughs> I didn't know that was that was that was uh, the guy that played Will Robinson on Lost in Space. And he was play He played in the Twilight Zone and I didn't know it. Uh, that would be fun to see just to listen to him, you know, because he was, you know, his voice hadn't changed then. But he was in this. You know, he was grown up in this movie on Mystery Science Theater, being from another planet, it was called. But uh, just a bit of trivia there. 71335 is a Twilight Zone. It's by Carol Serling. It's 13 hours and 28 minutes. Isn't that more fantasy than science fiction? Well, um, some of the stories are fantasy, but some of them are sort of science fiction-esque. 
I'd say, you know, it's sort of a mixed bag. I haven't read all the stories yet, but um, <laughs> I guess you could argue that too. And by the way, if there's anybody that's really interested um, in the Twilight Zone, the, the radio adaptations are so good, and they're on KQV Radio, and you can listen online if you can't pick them up on KQV.com, and they're on Saturday nights, and they run two episodes. They'll do one at 9 p.m. and one at 10 p.m. So, and the sound effects and the acting and the music is just phenomenal, and they're so much better for us than the TV episodes because, well, for one thing, they're an hour in length, where the uh, typical TV episode was 30 minutes, and of course, there's a lot of dialogue because they have to explain what's going on because it's radio, but I just love them, and I'm enjoying the book, but I don't know, some of you may or may not like it. There's also a, a book, um, a Rod Serling book with um, 10 um, stories on Bookshare as well. Um, there was season four of the Twilight Zone original was an hour long, so you may have run into some of those the the radio ones that I purchased were only 30 minutes. I only bought three or four of them. They're about $5 each, and you get them from twilightzoneradio.com, I think it is. Um, but, yeah, I, I kind of prefer the original series because um, that's what I grew up with. So. <laughs> now, each to his own or each to her own preference, whatever. Well, it's just because I can't see, and I have to admit, some of the television episodes, and when I grew up, I couldn't see either, and so um, I couldn't see when I was growing up, is what I'm trying to say, and some of them didn't have a lot of dialogue, so it was certainly a lot easier for somebody who's totally blind to follow the radio episodes, but I'm not saying I didn't enjoy the TV episodes, but um, you're probably right, you know, when you strip all the commercials, maybe they are closer to... Um, a half an hour um, because um, it takes an it's an hour broadcast or maybe a few minutes shy of an hour but there are three commercial breaks three or four commercial breaks in there too yeah I couldn't see either but you know I, I think I'd read enough science fiction by then <laughs> I could just sort of draw my own conclusions and I'm the type that if I don't like the ending of a book I think we all do this if you don't like the ending of a book you create your own ending <laughs> That's that's fun to do. Well, any suggestions? Any books? <laughs> we still haven't come up with anything. Well, it's kind of hard because there hasn't been that much on Bard, and when you want to look for a book on Bookshare, you've got a lot of stuff. I I found one the other week that had a really wonderful title called The Alien Spring, but it turned out to be a book for 10, 11, 12 years old kids, and the book didn't have any imagination at all. It was just boring beyond words and it was written specifically for seventh graders i believe and it was an educational publisher that published it so it was incredibly blah that was very disappointing it was on bookshare mary what was the one you were talking about i think it was today by Roz- roger zelasny that i'm going to say it all wrong the doors of his mouth and the something of his face or something like that. Yeah, that's got something like 18 or 19 short stories. I believe it's about six hours. Um, the stories, I had to read that first story, The Doors of 
his, his mouth, a lamp, whatever, whatever it is, it's got doors and lamps and mouth and face in it. <laughs> that's a, it's a first story in the book. I had to read that a few times to figure it out. It's, it's essentially about uh, hunting giant ocean creatures on Venus is essentially what it's about. Um, the, it's 1960. It, it won, did it win a nebula? I think it was a nebula in 64, 65, because I remember seeing it in the collection of nebula stories. I haven't read any more stories in that book, though, so I don't know what the other ones are. That anthology has the classic He Who Shapes, which won a nebula, and it's the short version of The Dream Master, which was about a psychologist in the future, and he uses VR, and he wants to cure, and he wants to show this blind woman what it's like to see, but things get go awry, I should say, but it's a classic that might be good. Uh, science fiction story, and that that was the novella that won the nebula, and then he made a novel out of it called The Dream Master, but He Who Shapes, I just thought that was a fabulous story when I read that was another reason why Zelazny was my favorite writer for a few years back in junior high. He was just Dream so Master good. I don't know if the Dream Master's on Bard or not. That's another thing, Mary. Um, thanks for letting me know that the Tripod books were on Bookshare as PQ. I had no idea. I didn't even think to look because they came out in the 60s, and I had no idea that they must have been reprinted or, or republished since then. Um, I want to get those and read them, because um, one, only one of them is on Bard, The City of Golden Lead, which is also which was great, but The White Mountains was on my favorites list. And the third thing was that, um, okay, now I've forgotten it. Oh, well, it'll come back to me, hopefully. Yeah. Um, Martin, I wanted to tell you, I, I didn't mean to come down on your, your suggestion for a book that hard. I get irritated about James Patterson. But that doesn't mean that, that his books can't be really fascinating. And I actually might really, um, I'm into a different kind of science fiction than Evan. My, I'm not into quite as hard a science fiction. And so I might actually really enjoy that book. Oh, the third thing was I wanted to say that they're adding science fiction to Bard. But if you notice, you'll, the science fiction they add is either older stuff that was on cassette and all the newer stuff that comes out every one of them is young readers i have not seen a new science fiction book on bard for adults in months everything that comes out now is young readers uh, all the science fiction that does appear the little bit of it that does they aren't doing any new science fiction that i know of for the regular adult readership now that i could see it certainly hasn't happened for months i'd say since last year and I think I can back that up. Yep, I notice it too because I go out to Bard every single day. And it's all romance, historical fiction, or, well, they put some nonfiction up there lately. But I, I hope they put some older stuff up there because there's stuff that obviously we haven't read, most of us, like the, the Zelazny stuff. Um, I am really disappointed that Bard is just, it's like science fiction just gets such short shrift. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is. Well, that's why I like Bookshare, but I won't get on that soapbox. I'll just say that I get to add what I want to the collection. I just wish there were two or three more of me so I could scan up and put up all the books that I want to get up. 
but I keep getting sidetracked by nonfiction. I posted a message about that to the list. But the other thing is, there are some other good science fiction that I'm waiting that's not as old as the Zelazny, such as Diaspora by Greg Egan. I'd like to see them put that up. And Neverness by David Zendel. I'd like to see them put that up. They haven't put up all the book of the New Sun books from Gene Wolfe yet. They've got two, one or two more to go. They put up three of them, I think, and they still. I'm still waiting for the other two. So... I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with them putting up parts of a series and they're not even sequential. And Oh, well, anyway, we'll, we won't resolve any of that here. But we've probably better figure out what we're going to read next month. Well, I'm looking at the doors of his face, the lamps of his... Uh, whoops. So have you seen the Dream Master on Bard, uh, Mary? I'm. Uh, that was the... the the uh, Lucy seems to uh, sounds said that sounds fascinating. She wants to see if it's on Bard. Can you? Are you up there? I am, and I'm looking at it. Six two three zero two. Oh, so it is. And it's five hours six minutes. Lucy, Lucy's suggestion is that we read that, and and, and it's up to if it were up. Uh, I think it's a great book. I've read it before, um, but it's been many years. It's been a couple of decades. Um, um, it's about, well, I already told you what it's about. Um, what do people think about that? It's up to you guys, because we did my, one of my favorite books last month, even though Mary picked it, so, um, I want other guys, I want to hear from other people. Uh, it's read by L.J. Ganser. Oh, I like him. He read Pandora's Star. They should have let him read Judas Unchained, but I guess he didn't, I guess they didn't have a, he wasn't around, or wasn't available or something, but he read, uh, he read Pandora's Star and did a Bang up, y'all. It's certainly short, short enough. Uh, what was it? What was it about again, uh, Evan? I sort of that slipped by me. What was the book again? The client is going flaky for me. It's about a, a, a psychologist who, you know, he puts people in this box. It's like virtual reality as they imagined it in the '60s, and he puts people in this box, and he creates these worlds, and they, and it's like a psychotherapy. And this blind woman comes to him, and he, she wants to learn how to see, or she wants to know what it's like to see, and he's trying to show her. But then she starts taking over the, well, she's got some problems, and it, and and it's, um, it, it's extremely, well, it's kind of scary in a way because you know you think about you know you're you're in this world and. You know, you're supposed to be in control of it, but then somebody, you know, with a very strong mind comes in, and she's a little unbalanced, and things start to go awry. And it's a really, but he's, but as, you know, he was, you know, he's a fabulous. He was a fabulous writer. Died too young, um, but uh, I'm always up for him. What book is that? Didn't we read that before? Isn't there a part where something like they're skating or something? I don't know. I don't remember reading it except for the short version in the uh, in the Nebula collection. It sounds like a really good book to me. Of course, I don't know if I'll be back again or not. My schedule is sort of a virtual reality, I think, sometimes. And sometimes it's science fiction work friction. <laughs> but... Um, I, I I would be fascinated with that book. What was the name of it again, of it again please? The Dream Master. Two, two, uh, D-R-E-A-M space M-A-S-T-E-R. And it's 62302. Author is 
um, last name is Zelazny, Z-A-L-A-Z-N-Y. Z-E-L-A-Z-N-Y. Um, I don't think we've read it. I would surely remember. What about skating, Leela? I don't... It doesn't ring a bell. What are you thinking of there? There's a book. Maybe, I, I don't know. There was a book I read that, um, like you said, there was this, this, I think, I think I may have, I'll read it again, I think, because I, if I remember correctly, it was a, kind of a freaky book, but I liked it. But at one point, they were, oh, I don't remember what happened, but the blind girl and him were somewhere, and she kept trying to, she she would take over, like you said, and I kind of, I think I've read it before, but I, I'll read it again. I think it was a great book. Kind of freaky, but good. Well, let's go for it. Well, uh, Lissy just asked me about the ending, and I hate doing this, but the ending is not great for the guy, the therapist. He uh, doesn't come out of it too well, unfortunately, and I don't know if that will change people's minds about reading it. It might. So I thought I'd better mention it here before we decide, because the ending is not good for him, the main character, I mean. He gets uh, damaged psychologically from it. I think I did read that. Maybe we didn't read it together, but I think I did read that, and um, that was a very sad ending. Um, but it was a really interesting, I don't know, it was a... I, it's been a long time since I've read it, so I'm kind of trying to remember it. But I do. It's one of those books that uh, I can't. I know I've read it because when you said the ending there, Evan, I'm like, yep, that's the book. Yeah, the annotation says that he falls in love with her, and the dreams really torture him quite a bit. For some reason, I guess maybe it's just her, her strong desire and personality or something. I don't know. But it does say that he does fall in love with her. I think we should go for it. If for no other reason, <laughs> you know, we're all blind, and it would be interesting to see how um, what our perceptions are of the whole precept or concept of the book. And um, It sounds fascinating to me. I'm not happy to hear that it's a sad ending, but, well, what can I say? Well, it's only five hours, six minutes. I mean, how long can you drag something out like that? <laughs> so... I don't know. I'm I'm on the book, so I can repeat the book number if we decide to go for it. I say let's do it. Lucy and I vote in favor. I say I. I don't know enough about science fiction to say yay or nay, but that's fine. We'll all read it. Okay, it's six two three zero two. If anybody needs that. Okay, we're going to read The Dream Master from Roger Zelazny for next month. Uh, our meeting next month is going to be on Thursday, April the 10th, and it may actually be spring by then. We can hope here. Uh, we are certainly hoping that spring may have arrived by then. Yes, and yesterday we bought the three-pack of Puffs tissue, so we're ready for a sad book. Yes, we're ready. 